Tyrant, did did he step out? Is do you? Oh, we want to meet. We want to meet little Daniel this morning. This is. Uh, I could you. Say, I guess you could say it's a COVID baby, right? It was conceived during COVID. I mean, it's not my business, but you know, whatever. And I, they, um, he was here uh, right after he was born. But I, I told him we wanted to introduce him to you this morning because many of you didn't get to see him then. So, so turn around and wave at Daniel. <laughs> I, oh, I didn't say say hi, Daniel. I said just wave. <laughs> Thanks, guys. You can take him wherever he was right now. So, I think that was him. I was hearing a while ago, right? Good. So, so I know I've said this before, but I guess maybe it's just the grandfather in me. I don't mind it when babies cry, especially the little ones, right? Let them get at it. I mean, how much are you really listening to me, really? Right? So um, next, week, next week is Easter, and um, he, he, we've been talking about this for a, a few months now. What are we going to do? When, when are we going to have to go to that third service kind of thing? And, and our first service is still um, wide open. But uh, we do know that there's going to be a chance it's going to be uh, fairly full next week. But we are not going to do a th- three services just for Easter. We, we just want, first, if you don't want to be like overly crowded, go to first service. Um, but even then, maybe. But, but we're just going to, we've got some plans to accommodate what's going to happen in here. And part of the reason is we want you guys to be a little snug um, because we want you to give to the building, and uh, we feel like that that will help contribute. It'll be, you'll be sitting there going, you know what I need to do? I need to not sit so close to this guy. That's what you need to do. So, so, um, so just be thinking about that next week, and invite somebody to service. Invite somebody next week. You know I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give people an opportunity to know that um, Jesus can be their personal Savior. So, so invite somebody. Let that be a part of, let, let, it'll be something you get to do this week that will potentially transform somebody's existence forever. I think that's a pretty good week, wouldn't you say? So um, I also wanted to mention, that it, it's officially gone through, I was talking about it while it was being uh, voted on on the uh, floor of the House, but the uh, Colorado abortion bill has officially gone through. It's, um, it went through the House, the Senate. And then um, Governor Polis signed it. And, you know, one of the things that just has got me on this, and, and this, is, this is right now. I, knew, I know New York is really working on trying to beat it. But this is the worst abortion bill in the entire United States. In fact, so the way the bill is worded, it can, you can abort a baby up until the moment it's being born. But the language in the bill does not say you can't do it later, just so you know. It does leave, and it's purposeful. It leaves a window that a week after the baby's born, which is what New York is trying to do. New York, and I know New Jersey's been working on this, that they're uh, trying to get um, abortion bills that will let you abort babies up to the, to, to the first three months after the baby. That's not abortion. It's all murder. It's all murder. None of it's, I don't even know why we use the word abortion, but, but what got me this, this week is Governor Polis signing this bill surrounded by um, a handful of Democrats, and, and they were, like, excited and happy, and he was just a big smile on his face, almost cheering. 
And people around were clapping and kind of cheering. Guys, that, that is demonic. What? Why? Why would you be pleased with that? First, why would you even go there? I don't, I've never understood the, I've never understood the argument with abortion. I understand why a, a, a mother in a, a situation where she's saying, okay, I didn't want this baby. Whatever. Okay, I understand that, all right? Um, but there are people that do. I, I can't, I don't understand how you can go from that to I think I'll just kill it. I, I really don't, it doesn't connect in my head. But it, but it really, maybe I was just overly sensitive to it, but it really irritated me when, when he was laughing at this, smiling at this. Um, again, that's just demonic. Now, I, I will throw this out here. The, the way the bill is written, um, there is grounds, there's very, very good grounds for, um, for this to be fought legally and, and pretty, you would think rationally thinking, that's probably my problem, but um, it, it can be overturned. It can be stopped legally because of the way it was written. So just be praying about this. Just be praying about this so that that can be stopped. So then Roe versus Wade can be overturned, and then um, they have to refight the battle and let it be stopped long enough till there's a bunch of guys like me that are coming into the uh, Colorado House this, this next year that are, that are going to fight the battle. Um, so maybe, maybe get delayed long enough we can get there kind of thinking. I don't know. So, so this is Palm Sunday. Um, this is the Sunday before Easter. In case you didn't know, that's what it was. Um, and what it, where it gets its name from is the triumphal entry where Jesus, uh, he calls up the disciples and say, hey, get me a donkey. Um, get him from the showroom because I don't want any miles on him. And, uh, and then I'm going to ride him into the city. Right. Every every element of this story is absolutely amazing. The fact I, I so I know I don't look like it or or whatever, but I actually uh, do have quite a bit of experience riding horses. Okay. Um, I I've gone many times. I've gone up into the mountains with um, some guys for years and years. We did this, and we would take the mount, We would take the the horses deep into the mountains, miles and miles into the mountains, and we'd stay there a week or two. And, uh, and hunt and do whatever. And, and, um, and there was this one year in particular that w- I was up there in the mountains. And this, I had this horse that I didn't, I didn't own a horse. I've never owned a horse. Um, I wouldn't own a horse. They eat. And so, um, but it's one of the reasons I, I like smaller dogs. But this horse, every single morning, I thought we were buddies. I'd go out, I'd give him some grain, I'd, you know, I'd pat his his head and, and um, brush him down and do all this stuff just because we were like buddies, right? I was trying to establish that. And, and then I would put, saddle him up and I would get in the saddle. And the moment I got in the saddle, he would, he would as my grandfather used to say, he would go a bucking. And, um, and, and for, oh, you know, 15, 20, 30 seconds, sometimes longer if he felt like I was holding on pretty good, uh, he would try to buck me off. And that was every single morning. And this was a, and then I would ride him all day, and he would never act like that the rest of the day, except he would, he would try to knock me off with branches and stuff like that at trees and things. But, but we were close, this horse and I. But I've always thought about that. When I, when I read, Jesus asked for a brand-new donkey, never been ridden. And Jesus just got on it and rode it. 
And the donkey felt like this was a good idea. Which donkeys never think anything is a good idea, in case you were wondering. But then Jesus says, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ride down in the city. And so everybody starts taking these big palm leaves and throwing them on the ground in front of the donkey and even their, their, their coats. And, and uh, the, so the donkey wasn't walking on the ground. There was, there was, um, there, there was a big deal. The donkey it, it was, a, was a military thing. When the, when the leader of military battle would come riding on a donkey, uh, he had won the battle, that kind of thing. So all of these elements and details are part of this. And, and to me, this is one of the most interesting time frames that scripture records this week from Palm Sunday until the, to the resurrection, this time frame is absolutely amazing because there's so much that's going on and there's so many elements, there's so many details um, of, of um, people and life and theology and all this other stuff. And so I was processing this having to do with, with Palm Sunday. And I, and I got to thinking about this. What if Jesus were here? What if we had asked Jesus to come and speak this morning? And he was like, I can do that. So he shows up. What would he speak about on Palm Sunday? I really, I really was processing this because if I speak, because I've, I've done this for 30 plus years. I've, I've had a lot of Palm Sundays that I've spoke about, um, at least 30. And I, I think about this because this, this message basically saying we talk about the details, but I was thinking if Jesus was here this morning, and he said, okay, I need to tell you something. This is a week before Easter. This, this is what I need you to know this morning. I don't necessarily think it would be about palm leaves. I don't necessarily think it would be about it because here's what happened is, is when Jesus comes riding in, thousands of people are out there cheering him. They, there's enough people that they can lay down palm branches and coats enough that the donkey's not walking on the ground. That's a lot of people. And all these people are shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They're, they're, they're shouting this out. And, and less than a week later, many of these same people are going to be shouting to the top of their lungs, crucify him. Same people. So what would Jesus say to us this morning? Um, this is what I think that he might say to us this morning, that we, we really are in a battle, that this is, there is a conflict going on. Th- think about the battle that Jesus dealt with literally all of his life. I mean, the, the, when he was 40 days out in the wilderness, Satan came to him in person to tempt him. Satan, I, I, from what I read in Scripture, I don't think Satan knows any of our names. Scripture shows us he doesn't know everybody. He's not omnipresent, omniscient, uh, omnipotent, right? But he came to Jesus personally to try to tempt him and, and, and did things, like took him to the top of the temple, those kind of things. Think about the, the spiritual battle that Jesus was on just during this week and the, and the, and the uh, culmination of that in the garden where he is, he is agonizing so much that as he is sweating, he is bleeding from his pores. That's some, that's some pretty serious battle going on. And so I think he would be trying to tell us that, that we are in a battle, but I think that the big thing is, is how do you fight this battle? Because if you don't fight this right, it changes everything. It, it, we, you go down a road that can be very... Um, 
it's the wrong road. You end up in the wrong place if you don't fight the battle right. Ephesians chapter 6, I'm just going to pull two of these verses out. Verse 12, for we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in heavenly places. Jesus knew this better than any of us. Not, not because he was God in human flesh, but because he was human flesh that was about to sacrifice himself because he was God. And he knew this battle, and he understood this battle. But here's what's important is he did not allow this battle to become between him and individuals. He didn't let it become between him and people. Even when he got before the priest, which, which was like the, the very negative of negative in his experience and interaction in society. The priesthood was tearing down everything that Jesus is before he ever got to this earth on human, in human flesh. And he still didn't let it be about people. Uh, he, he recognized that this spiritual battle was a, that the battle was spiritual first, it wasn't physical first. And this is where I think we struggle. And it's normal. I don't think this is, I don't think this is a horrible indictment, but this is, this is part of the point for the message, is to, to make us think, okay, most of what we're dealing with in life is spiritual. It's not Physical, but because we're physical and because we're limited in many ways to the to the to the the physicality of existence, then we limit how we interact. This is the choice side. We limit how we interact to predominantly physical instead of recognizing it's spiritual, and that's where we should be interacting. And we need to be fighting on a spiritual level, be thinking on a spiritual level. That scripture is spiritual. It's not just words on a page. This stuff transcends time and, and space. And God's word is literally a living thing. And that this is, a, this is a bigger than us in every single way that we can imagine. And that as you're going through your daily routine, you get up and go to work on Monday morning. That's a spiritual thing. Now, that's difficult for us, right? Because, well, I've been working this job for years and... You know, same old, same old, another day, another dollar, that kind of thing. But, but that's a spiritual moment. That's a spiritual thing. As you're walking through your life, you're a spiritual person first and your physical second. And so I really think that, that as Jesus is, is walking through this last week, I think he's got to be constantly reminding himself of this. Now, what we can do is we can put Jesus in a different category and say, oh, no, he walked above it all. He was, then why was he agonizing in the garden? If he, was, if he was just above everything and just floated around like this, then, then why was he agonizing in the garden? Because he was human also. And he was, and he was having to walk through this. I had somebody years ago say in a, in a um, class, in a Bible study I was doing, they said, well, yeah, but Jesus didn't feel the pain of the cross. I'm like, we're, okay, you guys calm down, all right? I, you're like, tar and feather them. Who are they? But Jesus did feel that. The idea that somehow Stephen didn't feel the, the stones hitting him when he was being stoned, I know that makes us feel better. I know that makes it okay, I guess, that you have to go through stuff. But guys, I don't agree with that. I think Jesus felt every single second of this. And think about this. All the demons in hell were trying to make this as bad as possible. Right? I think Jesus is processing this going into this last week. I, this is not about these people. This is not about them. 
when they, when they spit on him, that's not about that person. When they literally grabbed his beard and pulled it out in chunks. Think about the skin that came with that. As I get older, I have a lot of nose hairs. I get rid of those by pulling them. And usually in the car while I'm driving. And Linda doesn't, she, I don't know, she doesn't like it when I do that, but because then I, my eyes are watering, I'm trying to drive, you know, that kind of thing. I, the idea that you would grab my beard and pull it until it came off of my face, and then Jesus, in his heart, he was keeping this as the center of who he was, that the reason that this was happening is because he loved the people that were doing it. This is why it was happening. He allowed this. Not one thing was done to him that he did not allow. And he did it because he loved those people. That's why the scripture in Ephesians 5 is so mind-boggling to me, where Jesus says that he presented, now he's talking about marriage here, but he's talking about the, the bigger picture of us marrying him too. And he says that he presents the church, and husbands, by the way, this is how you're supposed to present your wife to you. He presents the church to himself, the church that is brutalizing him, attacking him, spitting on him, putting the crown of thorns, the, the spikes in his hands and feet. That church he presents to himself as perfect, spotless, no problems whatsoever. That's, that's what he tells us. So the first thing here is that this is not a flesh and blood thing. It's a spiritual thing. We have to know that. And then jump down to verse 17 because this is something that I think escapes us a lot of times. We don't really process it properly. We're reading through the armor of God and we get to the, to, through the whole list and we're like, okay, it's the armor of God. And we, and we can separate it, you know, put it into different elements, but follow this with me. Verse 17 says, put on the salvation, put on salvation as your helmet. Salvation as your helmet. Okay? And what is that? 2 Corinthians 10 uh, the first four or five verses talk about <clears throat> um, that Satan, the, the weapon that Satan uses against you is not physical, it's spiritual. And what it is, is he attacks your thought process. He attacks how you think, and specifically about how you think about God, because that affects everything else. And so Satan is not going to attack God. He can't touch God. And he can only um, harass you as much as God allows him or that you allow him. But he can, he can mess with your head. He can try to tell you lies. And, and he can't make you believe him, but that's his goal. Is if he tells you enough lies, you'll start believing them. You'll start believing about yourself, about life, about other people, about God. And he tells you lies. So you have the helmet of salvation, the blood of Jesus covering you. And it's a protecting of your mind. But here's something we don't process. This is still defense. It's not offense. The helmet of salvation is not offense. And what we do is we say to ourselves through, through decades of church teaching and preaching and stuff like that, we say, well, I'm saved, so now I'm a warrior for God. Nobody's arguing that. That's legitimate theology. You're a Christian, so now you're a warrior for God. The problem is there is still no offense. And as a Christian... You can live as a Christian and not ever do anything offensively against Satan. And by the way, Satan is very much okay with that. 
He doesn't like the fact that you were taken from his kingdom and put in God's kingdom because somebody else did go on offense and witness to you. He doesn't like that. But as long as you just put on all your armor and you put your helmet on and then you sit down in a church seat and never pull out the sword, he's okay with that. But we think, well, once I get saved, man, it's, it's all good. I'm this, I'm this powerful person. You have all the ability. It's all there. But the next part of the sentence says, and take the sword, the only offensive part of this list, Take the sword of the Holy Spirit, which is the word of God. Take the sword. The, the, the power of the Holy Spirit is different than your salvation. And this is what we don't grab onto in the church world. In fact, we have many church leaders across the country that will preach against this. And the way they say this is that you have all of the Holy Spirit you'll ever need when you get saved. Now, there's no argument on the fact that the Holy Spirit is involved in your salvation. You can't get saved without the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's the one who invites you, gives you the revelation, and engages your life with the reality of Jesus Christ. And then Jesus' blood covers you and saves you, makes you right with God. But you still are not empowered for service, for fighting. And we just assume, yeah, no, I think I am. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to help illustrate this for us just a moment. I brought one of my swords. I brought one of my swords. I have, yes, I have lots of swords. You know why I have swords? Because I'm a dude. This is a long sword. It's not a broad sword. A broad sword would have a handle down about it. But you probably don't care about it. So I have lots of swords. And here's the thing, guys, you know, you know you like swords. Our favorite shop that the boys and I used to go to, anytime we'd go into the mountains, there was this little knife shop, and we'd always have to go in there, and there was knives and katanas, and, and it always seemed to have a lot of dragons when you have swords. I don't know why, but maybe that's because what you kill dragons with. But when you go to a, guys, when you go to a, a garage sale or something like that, and you see a sword, you know you want it. <laughs> say, it say it ain't true. You know you want it, don't you? What is the reason you don't get it? Because you're married. Am I lying? No. Some of you guys are being real quiet right now. You're like, I don't have a sword. I wish I had a sword. But I have a wife. Okay, so I want to help illustrate this. I need a couple of volunteers. Alex? Wesley? Two, two good choices. They're expendable. Not, not on the stage. I don't want to get blood on me. Okay? So we're going we're gonna to use the sword, an illustration, but I'm a safety first kind of guy. So this is your actual sword. Okay? Alex, you stand over there. Face this way. Wesley, you face him. Up close to him. Okay? Now, you're a Christian. Covered with the blood of Jesus is the sword of the Spirit, right? Alex is not a Christian. He's in darkness, okay? This is the sword of the Spirit. What do you do with Alex? (laughs) 
Okay. So, in first service, I had Nate holding the sword. How old's Nate? Nine? Ten? I had Nate holding the sword. He immediately came up with the right answer. What is the right answer? What does Wesley do with this sword in relationship to Alex? I don't, that's, that's actually good. I didn't think about that. That's good. The Word of God. You don't hit him with it because we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. Right? Now, you guys can sit. Thank you. So here is... The reason I did that is because it's very difficult. In fact, Nate actually ruined the first service because he didn't hit Rob with the sword. And I'm like, but all the guys would have normally done that. But because why? That's your first instinct. You have a sword, you slash, right? But you're not slashing people. Guys, a sword is an offensive weapon, but it's not to be used against people. You're not using the Word of God against people. You're using the Word of God for people. Giving them the Word of God is actually a very good answer to that question. That'll be the next time I use this example. But, but here's the reality of this is we, we oftentimes make the battle between us and a person. Think about in the last week of Jesus' life. If he would have allowed that battle to be between him and a person... He might not have healed the guy's ear, right? What about when Judas comes up and kisses him? Can you, can you get any more horrible at that moment than actually kissing Jesus to, to betray him in front of everybody? Was, it, was there any? Now, we can, I don't, I don't think this way. Some people do, but you can think, well, you know, like, like I said, he's floating around doing all the right stuff and saying all the right things. He was still human. Wasn't there a part of him that might just have wanted to slightly slap Judas at that point? You betray me? Not only you can betray me, you can betray me as like you're one of my closest friends, one of my closest companions. Think about this, this fight. Somebody actually uh, said to me, I think it was this last week, said to me, well, we need to... What about, um, we should make it a rule here at Church of Briargate that we greet each other with a holy kiss. I'm like, there's two things in Scripture that they got wrong. <laughs> Washing feet and holy kisses. I don't think, somebody came in later and put that stuff in, I'm pretty sure. So theologically, we're just not ever going to do that, right? Some of you are like, I think those are true things. Maybe, maybe not. Put on the helmet of salvation. Take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now, let's go down to Acts chapter 8, because this is what I really believe. And, and, and this is also, Jesus did say this stuff in the last week, which is why I think if Jesus was speaking to us now, what he would be saying to us in the week before Easter. is you're not fighting a, a human fight and if you stay there, you're going to cause a lot of problems. There's always going to be issues. There's always going to be issues. We could go around this room and spend all day long giving examples of times when we said things or did things to other people that we wish we could take back. Our whole life 
has been affected by these things. This is not a battle between people. Acts chapter 8, verse 4. But the believers who were scattered preached the good news about Jesus wherever they want. The reason they were scattered is because Stephen just got killed. Stephen was, was um, stoned to death. And that scared them enough that they finally were obedient to the Great Commission or began the process of being be obedient to the Great Commission. You know, go into all the world, preach the gospel. Uh, you'll receive, Acts 1.8, you'll receive power to, uh, to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Do you realize that all these people until Acts chapter 8 just stayed in Jerusalem? They weren't doing what they were supposed to be doing. Finally, this happens, and they begin to scatter. And then it says Philip. Now, remember, Philip was voted in by the, um, by the church with a bunch of other guys to uh, take care of the widows and the orphans. That was their job, was like a feeding program, okay? The, the reason I say that is he wasn't one of the apostles, which is a very major important theme through the book of Acts, if you want to study that out. Do this sometime. Go through the book of Acts and just read through and write down anytime miracles happen, who did them and who were they in the bigger picture? Like um, Peter does miracles. He's an apostle, right? Church father, apostle. Write down all the people that you'll be surprised at how many there were that were not apostles, were not um, considered the church leadership that were doing miracles. And it gets more and more and more as you get to the end of the book of Acts, which is one of the themes of the book of Acts. Why is that important to you and I? Because I'm not an apostle. I'm also not Jewish. That's the second theme along with the apostle theme. I'm also not Jewish. But Luke wrote the book so that I, as a non-Jewish, just a guy, can do amazing things if I become empowered by the Holy Spirit. That's the, that's the point. So Philip, for example, went to the city of Samaria, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. Philip actually got to the third layer and told the people there about the Messiah. Crowds listened intently to Philip because they were eager to hear his message and see the miraculous signs he did. I still think that this is part of the context of preaching the gospel. Mark 16, preach the gospel. These signs will follow. These signs will follow. We, we don't put enough emphasis on, in, of that in, in the church in today's thing. These signs will follow. Okay? Uh, many evil spirits were cast out, screaming as they left their victims. I, I just heard a, a pastor just a, a couple weeks ago say this, and he's a good man, he's a good pastor. Um, I think he preaches the gospel very well, very strongly. But he said, he said, I don't think there's that many people that are possessed by Satan in today's society. And my, my, you guys are a, a raucous crowd this morning, aren't you? We'll tar and feather him too. But, but I disagree with that statement very strongly. I believe that, that many people we're around on a regular basis are at the very least oppressed strongly by Satan. And I think there are many people that are possessed by Satan. But we've built a paradigm of, of, a, of a sanitized Christianity in America where there's not really spiritual stuff going on. And so we just... We just assume that people aren't possessed in America. We've, now, now this, is the, this is the thing. You want to talk about kind of how um, we kind of have this subconscious uh, looking down on other people of other countries? We can go into some deep parts of Latin America or Africa or something like that, and we have no problem with people being possessed there. But in our cleaned up American westernized Christianity, well, we don't have people possessed in America. 
I would say there's an argument that maybe there's more here percentage-wise because we aren't paying attention, because we aren't looking at it. And this is one of the things that Philip's involved with. He's casting demons out of people. Many who had been paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city, which, by the way, that little uh, qualifier stuff right there is is two-thirds of Mark 16, okay? Um, Mark 16, 15. So a man named Simon had been a sorcerer there for many years, amazing the people of Samaria and claiming to be someone great. I like how Luke says it, claiming to be someone great. Because he was great within the people, but he wasn't really great. <clears throat> Everyone from the least to the greatest often spoke of him as the great one or the power of God. They listened closely to him because for a long time he had, been asto- they, he had astound him, astounded them with his magic. When Scripture uses the term, and there's a few ways to translate, but when Scripture uses the term magic, it's not talking about God power. Okay? Miraculous signs and wonders, and that's God's stuff. And, and he, by the way, so that there's no confusion, because I, I, I do think we don't teach and preach as healthy enough, um, Satan does have power, and he can do magic. He can do supernatural things, and they would look like miracles. You can go all the way back to Exodus. When, when those guys threw their staff down, they turned to snakes. The difference is, is when Moses threw his down, it turned into an anaconda and ate all the other snakes. That's the difference. If Satan's got power, God's got power. Satan does, can do things. He, he does have the ability to do things that look like miracles. But the thing is, is Satan is not a... Um, He's not a creator. He's a perverter. He's a twister. He's a liar. So he takes things, and the way he does the supernatural is he does things by twisting or perverting something. God is a creator, and when, when we are walking in the power of the Holy Spirit and miracles happen when we're praying, stuff, it's because of, of life and creation. I'm going to talk a little bit more about that next week, but it's, it's a supernatural creation. We're co-creating with God. We're bringing life. We're not bringing death, and the best Satan can do is bring death. That's why even, I know that we don't process sometimes, but that's why even when people are like uh, uh, manifesting demons and stuff now, this always, 100% of the time in America nowadays, this gets called schizophrenia when they're manifesting other voices and personalities and stuff like that. And I do believe there's such a thing as a schiz- uh, schizophrenia that is chemically based in the brain. I do believe that. But I believe most of schizophrenia in today's society is demon possession. But we don't call it that. We don't say that. And I would be very unpopular in many, many circles for even verbalizing that out loud. But I, but I believe that that is scriptural. Right? And the best that Satan can do. You ever wondered about the other voices and things like that? Satan is a perverter and a liar and a twister. He is taking something that God has created called speaking in tongues and trying to pervert and twist and make something that sounds like it. But he's not a creator. So it's not a, 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 a something new coming from somebody through the power of the Holy Spirit with a, a language of the earth or language of heaven. It's Satan taking something that somebody's got and twisting that and perverting that, changing it into something horrible. He says, <clears throat> They listened closely to him because for a long time he had astounded them with his magic. But now the people believed Philip's message of good news concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. 
As a result, many men and women were baptized. When it says baptized here, it means they accepted Jesus as their Savior and got baptized in water. That's what that means. You, didn't, you don't just preach the gospel and then baptize people. It's because you're baptized because they got saved. Okay? That's, that's a given the way he says that. That's a given here. They got saved and were baptized in water. Then Simon himself believed, got saved, and was baptized in water. Now, the reason that that is important because what happens later, we begin to question this. But here's what we do when it comes to Scripture. We just take it like it says it. This is important. Okay? He began following Philip wherever he went. And he was amazed by the signs and great miracles Philip performed. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that the people of Samaria had accepted God's message, they sent Peter and John there. As soon as they arrived, now, how long did it take Peter and John to get here? They didn't just get on a a bus or take a car. This potentially was days or weeks before they got here. That's important. As soon as they arrived, they prayed for these new believers. That means Christians. These new believers, they had been baptized in water because they accepted Jesus, They prayed for these new believers to receive the Holy Spirit. Guys, this is a major breakdown in evangelical church in America today. We do not preach this and teach this properly, but it says it right there. We know the Holy Spirit is involved in salvation. You cannot get saved unless the Holy Spirit invites you, unless the Holy Spirit gives you revelation, supernatural revelation that Jesus is Lord. And and the Holy Spirit is the one that literally causes, when the blood covers us, causes us to be made right with God through that blood. That's the Holy Spirit doing that, okay? So we know the Holy Spirit is in our life at salvation. So then why would they weeks later pray for these believers, these Christians that the Holy Spirit is in, why would they pray for these believers to receive the Holy Spirit? Jesus has told us this over and over, that he's giving us the Holy Spirit so that we can have power. This is not the same thing as salvation. Same Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit is waiting for us to say, I need power. Instead of, well, I'm saved now. See, we do the I'm saved thing. I got the helmet of salvation, but we're not fighting. We have not picked up the sword yet. You say, well, but the sword is the word of God. Yes, the sword of the Holy Spirit is the word of God. It is the Holy Spirit empowering that word of God that becomes the offense weapon of the sword. It's not just that it's there. And here's another one. It's not just because you read it. This is is huge. I've known a lot of people that know a lot of the Bible that have never fought once and don't even serve God. The Holy Spirit empowers that word, and that's how it becomes the sword. They prayed for these believers to receive the Holy Spirit or to be empowered. The same thing in Acts chapter 2. Jesus told them, go and wait in Jerusalem. We know they had been there for 10 days. These guys were Christians. The Holy Spirit was already in their life. And in Acts chapter 2, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. This is not the same thing as salvation. The Holy Spirit... You can be filled with the Holy Spirit at salvation, but it's two different things. 
Now, to make it clear, Luke reiterates this, so there's no confusion. Because see, later in Acts like 19, Paul comes to Ephesus, and, and he sees these believers in Ephesus, and they're Christians, and, and he says, have you received the Holy Spirit? And they said, we don't even know what you're talking about. And he said, well, then how are you saved? Now, some theologians have argued this, and I've seen the arguments, and I've read it, and it's, and it's a halfway okay, maybe legitimate argument. If it was the only one in the Scripture, it would be more legitimate. But they say, well, they, when these two guys answer, they say, or these believers answer, they say, well, we received the baptism of John, which was a baptism of repentance, not necessarily salvation. I don't believe that. I believe it was salvation. That's why, that's why Paul asked them the question and called them believers. Okay? But... Even if you would argue that in our Acts 19, you can't argue it here. Because verse 16, Luke makes sure. He says, The Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them, for they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Can you come up with anything except salvation? Think about what I'm saying. They had not received the Holy Spirit. They had only been saved. Guys, this is so important for us as the church. We are walking in a mentality of salvation, but we have not walked into the mentality of empowerment of the Holy Spirit, and I'm picking up that sword of the Holy Spirit, and I'm going to fight. And I'm going to do that primarily by being a witness in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. But there's, there's, there's much more of that fight than even that. But that's the beginning. That's the starting point for this whole concept. Why do I need to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Because I need power. And Jesus told the disciples, don't even leave Jerusalem until you have the power. And tell them, preach the gospel, preach the gospel, preach the gospel. And then he said, but don't take off and preach the gospel in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth, until you've been filled with the Holy Spirit, until you've been empowered. Why? Because you're not going to make it. See, this is one of the things that I have noticed about the church in general, and even specifically Colorado Springs, is there, specifically when I got here, I don't, I don't think it's as strong nowadays, but there's, there's this attitude that, that there's not really that much darkness around us. We're kind of basically, societally, we're basically light with some pockets of darkness. And, and I even had people ask me when I first came to Colorado Springs, well, are there even non-Christians in Colorado Springs? I'm like, you should ask that question. Just start with church at Briargate. <laughs> ha ha. So here's, here's the reality. Guys, there's darkness everywhere. The light that we are as Christians is, is um, per, I'm saying like per capita percentage-wise, small in comparison to all of the darkness. Now, the light of Jesus shines way brighter than darkness can and hinder, okay? But, but when you go person-to-person mentality, there's a lot of darkness in Colorado Springs. A lot of darkness. There's a lot of darkness in Colorado. There's a lot of darkness in your neighborhood. And if you don't think about it like that, you'll be, you won't see a reason for power. This is, this is the big lie that Satan has told the Western church, specifically America, is we're all basically good people. 
There's some bad apples out there, but there were basically good people. So then what happens is, is when I'm thinking and praying, I'm not, I, I don't need power because, well, I don't even come across like possessed people. They don't even exist in America. So I don't need power. Most everybody's basically decent. I don't need power. There's not that much darkness. I don't need power. And the American church has been dying, and the darkness has been closing in and closing in and closing in to the point where, as a state, we vote in abortion laws that murder babies to the point of birth. And, and then we tell ourselves, well, it's not really that dark. How much dark does it have to be? How much darker than murdering our own children does it have to be? And we lie to ourselves, and we don't, we don't go there like we need to. We're in darkness. Then Peter laid hands upon these believers, these Christians, and they received the Holy Spirit. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given, when the apostles laid their hands on people, he offered them money to buy this power. Now here's something you might not process. Let me help you with this. You may not come to the same conclusion. You'll be wrong if you don't. But Here's the conclusion I came up to. When Simon saw that the Holy Spirit was given, when the apostles laid down, how could he see the Spirit given to somebody? Theologically, this is a big one. How could he see the Holy Spirit being given? The other examples we have in Acts 2 and Acts 4 and Acts 19 is they began to speak in tongues. 1 Corinthians 14 verse 5 says that you are strengthened personally when you pray in tongues or you speak in tongues. This is the power. This is the strength. It's the empowerment. And they were empowered and they began to speak in tongues. And this is what Simon was interested in. He said, let me have this power too, he exclaimed. And this is where I think he begins to derail. Remember above it he says that he was a Christian, baptized. Uh, he, he believed, became a Christian, and was baptized in water. So all of a sudden, he's seeing something. He'd been the man of power for years and years around here. And I think this is when it started getting in his heart and turning his heart back. Let me have this power too, he exclaimed, so that when I lay my hands on people, they will receive the Holy Spirit. See, he wasn't looking at the big picture of empowerment to reach the lost. He was looking at it like a parlor trick. This was a little trick. You pray for people, and they start speaking in other tongues. I want to be able to do that. That's pretty cool. Except he was missing the whole point. To speak in tongues is not the point. That's the empowerment. The point is to use that same mouth and speak truth and life to people to see them get saved. Peter replied, May your money be destroyed with you for thinking God's gift can be bought. You can have no part in this, for your heart is not right with God. Repent of your wickedness and pray to the Lord. Perhaps, I love that he says it that way, perhaps he will forgive your evil thoughts. For I can see that you are full of bitter jealousy and are held captive by sin. And then Simon, we recognize he still doesn't get it. He says, pray to the Lord for me that these terrible things you said won't happen to me. He doesn't say, pray to the Lord that I will be forgiven and be right with God again. I just don't want to be punished. That's the difference between conviction and condemnation or repentance and guilt. Pray that this bad stuff doesn't happen. That's not repentance. Four things. Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit empowerment is separate than salvation. 
The second thing, we all need this power every day. You need it. Paul said in Corinthians, he said, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. In the Greek, that means constantly being, being, being filled. Paul was saying, don't, don't ever not be pursuing the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Somebody asked me after first service, does that mean the Holy Spirit leaves us? No, I heard a pastor years ago say it the right way. Um, as, as humans, limited humans, we leak. We need to be refilled, re-empowered, because we leak. We leak through attitude, rebellion, selfishness, laziness. The third thing, we can all be empowered right now. And I believe that when this happens, the fourth thing is that we will remember who we are truly fighting. Right? Stand with me if you would. Here's what I would like us to do. I want us to pray to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, some of you, I know this might be a little bit outside your box. I get that. If you just need to stand and watch, I get that. I totally understand that, okay? But I would suggest open your mind, your spirit to who the Holy Spirit is and let the Scripture do something. Just let the Holy Spirit do something in your life. The best way I can encourage you is don't resist the Holy Spirit, okay? Don't come up with ways and why the Holy Spirit isn't really going to do stuff. So here's what I'd like us to do. Some of you specifically, we're going to pray for everybody in the room to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You're going to be praying. I'm going to be praying. But I think for, for, for a good number of us, there is a, there is a um, necessity, an intentionality, a, 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 almost a desperation in our spirit right now. You're saying, I need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I need this. Maybe you've never been filled with the Holy Spirit, empowered like you see in Scripture. You're saying, I need this. Some of you may have just been a long time and you've kind of been on the dry side or however you want to verbalize that. And you're saying, I just need this. I need, to, I need to just refresh this whole thing in my existence. I need the power of the Holy Spirit. Some of you may just be saying, I, I'm walking in the Holy Spirit every day, but I really want somebody to pray for me. That's legit also. We're going to have people pray for you. But if you're saying, I, just, I need to be filled with the Holy Spirit this morning, I'd like you to come down front and just line up along the front, and we're just going to have people come pray for you. Just to say, I need, I need this power. I need it. So join me up here. This is the way I look at it because I I pray every single morning, Holy Spirit, fill me today. Fill me, empower me. I actually pray that all through the day. I think that's what Paul was saying. One of the things that I've done for years is I look at it like this. I'm going to interact with somebody tomorrow that needs me to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Because their issues are too big for them, too big for me, but it's not too big for the Holy Spirit. So I, I need to be filled with the Holy Spirit for someone else, for their existence. Anybody else? I don't want to rush this, but I've already gone a little long this morning. Okay, some of you, if you would like, why don't you join us up here, and um, and, and we're going to pray, and just begin to pray for them, and as you're praying for them, please um, process, consider praying in the Spirit for them while you're praying for them too, all right? Pray in the Spirit too. 
Lord, I, I pray first, I just pray for me. Lord, I need to be filled with you. I need to be filled with your Holy Spirit and your power. Lord, I need power that goes beyond me. I need power that will mobilize me to lost people. I need power over sin. I need power to know your word. Fill me with your Holy Spirit, Lord. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. And I pray for these up front. They are hungry for this. They are wanting your Holy Spirit. They're wanting this empowerment. They're wanting this this Philip type of, of walk in life. This Peter, John, James, Paul type of walk. So, Lord, I ask you to fill us with you. Fill them with your Holy Spirit. Fill them with your Spirit in the name of Jesus. God, we thank you. We thank you that you do this in our existence, in our life. Holy Spirit, we need you. We don't just want you in our life. We need you. We need your power. Lord, I pray for every person in this room. Holy Spirit, show them how big you are, how amazing you are. And Lord, if if anybody's um, wondering or struggling, Lord, just open your word to them and show them. It's not from me. It's not from anybody else. It's straight from you. You show them. And then, Lord, help us as a church body. Help us just to open our spirit up. Just just like Jesus breathed on the disciples. Lord, that's what I pray right now for all of us. Jesus, breathe on us right now, and we will receive your Holy Spirit. We are choosing that we will receive your Holy Spirit. God, empower us. Empower us as parents. Empower us at work. Empower us at school. Lord, I pray for the students that, that at school that they will walk in the power of the Holy Spirit, that they, will, that they will pray in the Spirit all day long. Their friends need this. They need this. God, we just need you.
pursue you, pursue the power of the Holy Spirit, pursue your word. Lord, that we'll be a church convicted by the Holy Spirit to walk in holiness, to walk in humility and openness to what you want. Lord, we need you. Jesus, we need you. Lord, fill us with your spirit. Take us into this week full of your spirit, ready to minister to somebody, ready to pray for somebody. Lord, give us discernment of who to talk to and how and and when. Give us power, Lord, that goes beyond our limitedness. Give us power. God, there are people all around us every day that need us to have more power than we have, more power than they have. So Holy Spirit, fill us. Fill us, empower us. In the name of Jesus. God, and I pray that that every one of us in here, you'll stir our hearts, that we'll invite somebody to service next week, and that people will know that you're Savior. People will will know that you're God. So fill us with your Holy Spirit. praying as much as they want or need up here. Before noon tomorrow, God's going to give you the chance to let somebody know Jesus loves them. He's going to let the opportunity be presented to you to tell somebody about Jesus this week. Take it. Do the best you can. Take it. And uh, God will honor that. It's a guarantee. So, shake somebody's hand. Tell them you're glad that they're here and we will see you Wednesday night for the Seder dinner. Be sure and register for that. See you then. God.